Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike. Welcome to Metaphysical Milkshake, the show where we go deep, we get weird, and we search for the meaning of life along the way. Presented by Cast Media and Soul Pancake. Hello, Metaphysical Milkshakers. It's me, Rain Wilson. And it is I, Reza Aslan. And today, this week, really super excited to be speaking to this incredible young psychic guy, Tyler Henry. I want to learn about the life of a medium, but I also want to learn about grief because that's gets at the root of why he does what he does. You know, mm-hmm. anything having to do with like communicating with people on their side have to do with grief. But um, what are your thoughts on grief? You, have you experienced any grief recently? You, your family, anything like that? You know, I, I got a complicated uh, relationship with grief, I guess. I don't know if I've um, ever truly grieved or felt grief uh had a weird thing you know my my uh one of my sons had a a bird and you know kind of one of your chickens or or no not one of our many many chickens like an actual uh it wasn't a parrot but it was kind of like a parrot it was a a very very smart sophisticated bird when we bought him at the store the uh store owner basically said hey yeah this this uh you could have conversations with this bird and i was like wow that's so great uh how do we how do we do that it's like you know just uh easy spend maybe 30 to 90 minutes a day uh with him i was like 30 to 90 minutes a day (laughs) it's barely how much time i spend with my kids 30 (laughs) to 90 minutes a day with the bird But whatever, we got the bird, and my boy, you know, absolutely fell in love with him. And then, uh, you know, it was like four or five years, but uh, he just died. And, oh, boy, Rain. Oh, boy. Mm. My son, my son grieved in a way I've never seen people grieve. He grieved in a way like a a, a B-movie actress in the 30s would grieve. You right. know what I'm saying? Oh, full, like, <laughs> why, chest pounding. Why, God, why? Yeah, and, uh, Greek tragedy. I, yeah. yeah, and, you know, like, this is what, was like, my, my weakness as a dad, I just stood there. I didn't know what to do. I, I honestly didn't know how to respond. I was trying, you know, not to, I felt uncomfortable. I didn't, I, you know, I didn't know. I, thank God my wife, Jessica, stepped in. You know, she actually has, you know, she normal can human emotions. And she yeah. knew to hug him yeah, and she, to comfort she, him exactly, and yes. all of that, like, human stuff. Human things, human exactly. Stuff. What, what you, you were like, humans I do not do. know how to process this. <laughs> uh, but it was so strange for me because I was like, where did he get this? Because that's not me. I don't, I, that's not how I well, deal I with Well, I think we grief. know where he got it from. That goes to the center of something. Like, I, 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 my dad passed away 
a year and a half ago. But other than that, I, I didn't have anyone that I was really close to or family members that passed mm. away. But growing up, I lost a lot of pets along the way. And I do think that pets are a good training ground for this circle of life and the grieving process too. You know, I was about seven or eight years old and I had these two gerbils I loved very much, Frederick and Nelson, and anyone who's from Seattle will understand that reference. And I took one outside and he was kind of like running around on this little patch of ground and he kind of ran at me. So I jumped up to kind of get out of the way and then he ran under my foot and I couldn't help it and I landed on him. I landed on Nelson and crushed his little gerbil skull and there was gerbil blood coming out. I was responsible for his death. That's murder. It was, I was like seven, eight years old. I just started to, to weep. My dad came out. I didn't know what to do. He was thrashing around and my dad grabbed him by the tail and went in the other room and I heard the toilet flush. (laughs) So I didn't really get a sense of closure with old Nelson, but There were several other pets that I lost along the way. And um, I think culturally it's very strange. People get so upset when dogs die and pets die. It's like we lost a family member and it's like, and, but it kind of stops there. And it's like, yeah, you should grieve. You should cry. It is sad. They, you know, if you get a dog, you got eight to 15 years of good times and then it's going to die. It's natural. It happens on farms. Animals are dying every single day um, so that people don't necessarily take that next step of like, and I hope you close the loop with your son of like, hey, guess what? We all are going to die just like, what was the bird's name? Uh, Cracker. Just like- Just like Cracker. Wait a second. Is that kind of a racist (laughs) name? I don't think he realized the racism in the name, but yeah, I could see that. Hey, Cracker. Hey, Cracker. No, but you're absolutely right. And this brings up, I think, a larger point that we want to tackle uh, this week on the Metaphysical Milkshake pod, which is how do we grieve? What is grief? Uh, you know, we I've experienced grief in a vastly different way than than you have. And I mean, what does that say, you know, in the way that we think about um, grief as a process, as a as an emotion? And, you know, we could have had a lot of different guests come on and talk about this. We could have had like a therapist or a counselor or a psychiatrist, psychologist, maybe a doctor, you know. Or a a war survivor or something. Yes, a war survivor. Or my son. But we thought we would do something a little bit different. On the program Mm -hmm. today, we have a medium, Tyler Henry, medium to the stars, celebrity medium. Did you know that there was such a thing as a celebrity medium, Rain? Um, You're a celebrity. I I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Well, Does that mean mean they are famous or they only do readings for famous people? (laughs) I think in his case, it's both. Tyler Henry uh, is an author. He identifies as a clairvoyant. Uh, That means it's like primary way of receiving information from the beyond is through visions, images, pictures. Uh, he does these readings where he connects people with their uh, loved ones who have passed. Uh, he's done this on TV. Uh, he had a show on E! Hollywood Medium with Tyler Henry that was on for four seasons. And now he's got a new Netflix show, Life After Death with Tyler Henry, uh, and a brand new book called Here and hereafter. And so 
Let's talk about the grieving process with a guy who talks to dead people because that makes a lot of sense. It does make a lot of sense, but I want to say celebrity medium. There's a list here of the celebrities. I don't know if they qualify as celebrities. <laughs> oh, stop. Okay, let's go through some of these stop. people. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. I'm going to dig into this. John Sally. I vaguely remember he was a basketball player. Alan Thick. Oh, yeah, I Alan think Thicke. Are you kidding? Come on. Was he? Oh, he was on a sitcom in like the 80s or something? Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, um, uh, okay. Safa. <laughs> I don't know who some of these people are. And I don't think that. Uh, I think qualifying Tom Arnold and Jaleel Wright as white as celebrities is, is kind of pushing the envelope here. But nonetheless, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He wrote a great book. Let's bring him on the show, Tyler Henry. Tyler Henry, thank you so much for joining us on uh, the Metaphysical Milkshake Pod. It's so exciting to have you here. Did you say it, Tyler Herbie? I said Tyler Henry. Did I did I swallow that? I it it sounded like Tyler like Percy or Percy. <laughs> Tyler Hershey. Or, <laughs> yeah, something it was some something Tyler weird. Anyways, it's Tyler, Tyler Henry, Henry world-renowned medium psychic television personality, wise person and yes. kind of guru-esque <laughs> philosopher yes. the book. of That's great wisdom. That's giving way too much credit. Thank you, though. Here and Hereafter it. is the brand new book. Uh, Tyler, just let's just get right into it. What number am I thinking of? Oh, let's see. <laughs> I'm sensing between one and a thousand. Oh, my somewhere God. Somewhere in there. Oh, and my God, that's it, right. It's, uh, there's a statistical False. chance, but yeah. No, no it was 18,637. <laughs> Debunked. Boom. You're Just a fraud. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. Busted. I'm practically, I'm practically Harry Houdini. Uh, no. Okay. So we've introduced you as a medium. You talk about yourself as a medium. You're often described uh, with that label. And I'm just curious, uh, what the hell does that even mean? Like, what is that? Looking at the camera, he looks like a medium. <laughs> he does you not know, look, I think large would be too yeah. drapey. Extra large definitely I'm say medium would not short. work. During the pandemic, I actually gained about 30 pounds. So now I'm actually a medium. medium. You did not. If I this did. is you with an extra well, 30 pounds... Wow. Give, give me to my 30s, I'll get large, <laughs> and then it'll be really ironic. No, seriously, tell us, how should we think about yes. what a medium is? You know, like, how do you think about it? Do you, do you, are you okay with the label? Do you like the label? Yeah. yeah. I think there are probably better terms that exist. I just think it's such a tricky thing because medium is such an encompassing term. Mm. Uh, when I think of what a medium is, it really is defined as an intermediary or someone who's in the middle. And so it's kind of a generic term in the sense that that could apply to a lot of things. If people who act as intermediaries religiously, spiritually, personally, I think religion very much ties into that role of kind of people taking on that mediumistic quality themselves. So there's a lot of applications of it. It's a very general term, but it just is somebody who receives intuitive information with the goal of delivering it to other people. And the goal of delivering it to other people with the purpose of what? Validation. And that's really the most specific thing for me. And when I do a reading, I have to be able to connect to information that can't be researched, can't be guessed, can't be gleaned from someone's body language. 
And when I go into reading, I never know what to expect. So I have to just try to give people what I feel I'm meant to deliver. I liken my job to that of a mailman. So I'm not writing the letters, I'm just delivering the message. And I think that's actually a very practical way to understand what a medium is. We may not always know who's giving us the messages um, or even what they are, but it's the role itself that a medium takes. I'll tell you why I like the the term intermediary, because it the the idea of like an individual who stands between two different planes, right? The world of the living and the world of the dead, this world and the world beyond, or however you want to talk about it. This is something that exists in all cultures, all religions. It goes back to our prehistoric Paleolithic past. It's actually what the definition of shaman is is the shaman is the individual who can commune with both planes and and communicate from one plane to the other. So I, I really like that idea of intermediary. Though, if I were you, may I suggest clairvoyant? Because it just sounds so... It, it sounds so much more sophisticated. Sexy, it's, it's a, and it's a sexy. French word. It means clear sight. And it is a way that you know people sometimes receive information. But yeah, it's a lot sexier of a word than medium. Mm-hmm. So I have a story to tell you. Right. Can I tell you a psychic story? Um, now, psychic. Now, how, how is medium different than a psychic? So, I think all mediums have a psychic ability, but not all psychics are mediums. Ah. That's kind of the distinction I make. Um, we think of psychic as typically referring to telling the future. I refer to it really as just anything extrasensory. And mediums doing what they do have to connect on that in- extrasensory level. So, I consider it a facet of a psychic ability, but not all psychics necessarily communicate with the dead. I hate to correct you, Tyler, but I, I believe the plural is media. Media. <laughs> you know what? Am I wrong? Am I wrong about Some that? Some people call me medians, and I'm like, no, I am not the thing in the middle of the road. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rain, tell us your tell us your medium story, which, by the way, I'm sure is your favorite thing, Tyler, is when people tell oh, you medium it. stories. They're my favorite, and it's amazing how much people have in common, actually. You'd be surprised. Well, no, this is a great story. You're going to love this story. So. My wife made friends with a psychic in Hollywood. I forget her name. This was a long time, it was like almost 20 years ago. And then my friend Richard went and saw her and she did a psychic reading and she's like, oh man, I'm getting just a big impression that something with the letter A, he's like, no. And he's like, no, with the letter A, like someone, someone in your life with a letter A, someone, he's like, no. Not your mom, dad, someone who passed away, sister, letter A, nothing. It's like, no, nothing, nothing. He's like, she's like, I I don't know what to say. I'm just getting the strongest impression of the letter A. And I don't know what that means. Two days later, he's working as a background actor for a commercial shoot for Sotheby's. And they're like, auctioning off silly things like, oh, here's a giraffe and they're auctioning a giraffe and they're bringing out different things. And they're like, okay, we need someone to hold this Greek statue. We need someone to lead this giraffe. And we um, hear you. And they point to my friend, Richard, we need you to hold this. And they hand him a gigantic letter A. (laughs) And he spends the entire day, two days later after his reading, holding an enormous letter A all day long <laughs> that's bizarre how's that it's pretty that good right here's, here's what i get from that story celebrities can purchase giraffes is that a thing big letters it is well <laughs> we have a donkey you haven't seen my donkey zebra hybrid i mean oh, come on is that like a badonka donkey 
No, that's that's more the after show. <laughs> all right, all right, you. But listen, when you're getting started as a medium, uh, Tyler, how does that work exactly? Like you're getting started, like sure. before you became famous Hollywood medium, like did you have a shingle out on, you know, Santa Monica Boulevard with a neon sign that said palmistry or did you get a bank loan? You have to go in the bank and say, I, I want $10,000 to start a medium. Like literally, how do you start that business? Sure. Well, for me, I graduated high school when I was 16 years old and I had the goal at the time of trying to become a hospice nurse. So I enrolled in community college. I was going down that route. I knew at that age that I had this ability. I just didn't really know how I was going to apply it. And so hospice felt like a natural synergy yeah. to be able to be there for people who were dying and their mm -hmm. families. Uh, but quietly, I was doing readings through word of mouth and people would meet with me uh, after class and I would you know, do readings for them. And at the time, it was like 20, 30 bucks. And it was just to try to uh, kind of meet the uh, cost of textbooks. And so I didn't really uh, think that it was going to go anywhere. But very quickly it did. And within a year, I had people coming to my front door, word of mouth spread very quickly. And I actually ended up reading the dean of the college of all people. And I ran into him one day and he actually encouraged me to leave school <laughs> because he had such a profound experience. And he said, you know, you have this ability. I know it's real. You should really think about maybe using it. Uh, and so when the dean of the college tells you to leave, you know, you kind of have permission. And so I did, I left school and I continued doing readings. And by the age of 19, I was offered a television show. So it was a very, very short period. How do you go from doing readings? This was in Fresno? This was near Fresno in Hanford, California, yes. Okay, so you're doing, you're doing readings at age 18 in Hanford, California. How do you go from that to TV show? I'm sorry, I just need to connect the dots here. Yeah. Well, he's well, quite those, a handsome man, I think. No, shucks, yeah, you know. I will say, you know, Southern California is a lot more open-minded than where I come from. Um, Central California, a lot of people don't know, is agriculturally based, a lot of conservatism. So I dealt with a lot of religious pushback from people who were, you know, more on the fundamentalist side of things. And so while some people were open to what I did in my small town, others weren't. And very often people would meet with me secretly. They wouldn't tell their husbands. Um, but all that to say, I think the demand started coming from Southern California because people there geographically are just a lot more open to the creative fields, the spiritual, at least comparative to where I'm from. And so naturally I had a draw from there. Before I knew it, I was going to Southern California. My first celebrity client was with Sarah Paulson uh, of I American Horror Sarah Story. Paulson. And Sarah Paulson was an incredible experience for me as just a teenager. Uh, but that was my first celebrity reading, and then it kind of just evolved from there. But I always say the power of word of mouth is an incredible thing. If you're real, if you're able to give people something validating, you shouldn't have to advertise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So you've used this phrase reading a bunch of times. What is that? Like, how do you conduct a reading? Like, what happens in a, a, uh, a reading? Do you just kind of like concentrate on the person and start to get messages? Talk us through what that actually looks like. Absolutely. So when I do a reading, I scribble. And scribbling is really my methodology of kind of turning on so that when I'm not scribbling, I can kind of turn off. 
the premise of that practice is really repetition. Um, it's not the scribbles themselves that have any significance as much as it's the process of repetitively scribbling back and forth. We see that a lot in other religions as well, repetition being something that helps people get into an altered state of consciousness, um, sometimes trans transcendental states. Mm -hmm. um, I even think of within Catholicism, right? You have the rosary and people will pray it repeatedly. There's something about repetition that just helps us get into a different state of mind. And scribbling is that for me. Once I get into that kind of meditative state, I just basically have to focus on any impressions that come through. And I use the word impression because people think of psychic abilities as like seeing dead people walking around. And I wish it were that easy, but it's really not. When I do a reading, I just get these little impressions, little sensations. Sometimes it'll feel like a memory that's not mine. Sometimes it'll feel like a song that's stuck in my head, but it might be a sentiment or an idea. Um, and then other times I'll even get physical sensations in my body that correspond with how somebody passed. So the best way to understand it is really to think of my body as kind of like a canvas. And the spirits that come through, I believe, kind of paint the picture using my senses to communicate what they want to say. And of these messages, and you're, you know, you're doing several readings a day, I imagine, and you're getting, you've, you've received thousands of messages from the other side. What's the most common message that you've received in your reading? I would say... One of the most powerful messages universally across the board is the importance of saying it now while we still have the chance. Um, so many people that sit in the chair across from me are sitting in front of me because something is unresolved. They either have regret because something went unsaid or something went undone. And that's even under the best case scenario. You know, we have situations where people will be ill for eight months and we know they're going to die and we have that little send off. And even those are difficult because people still wish they would have done more in hindsight. So for me, the greatest takeaway is the importance of validating those relationships in the here and the now while we have the chance so that we can prevent future regret. So I live my life differently as I go about my relationships. I ensure that I'm communicating everything when I can. Um, and I just you know try to not go to bed angry. It's a, it's a famous quote, but it's true. You know, Try not to go to bed angry. <laughs> Say it because you never know when you won't have the chance to. Yeah. Hey, Rain. Yeah. I love you, you, man. What do you have to say to me? I love Reza? you, man. I love you. That's all. Oh. I just feel like, you know. Sweet. It's a love fest. You got to communicate the love. I want to say it now. I'm taking Validate it. Exactly. I want to say to you, Reza, I like you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a slow burn. It's a slow burn. <laughs> love is a strong word. It's a big commitment. Yep. I'm not quite sure I'm there yet. <laughs> Look, this there. is all very fascinating because I don't know. I mean, look, uh, Rain and I were talking about this uh, before the, the podcast started, and I'm not sure what I believe. It's hard. Like, I mean, I have this whole theory because I, I believe in God, and I have this theory that if you're willing to believe in God, then you better be open to some pretty fucking crazy ideas. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, you'd be like, I believe in God, but ghosts, that's ridiculous. Sure. <laughs> you know? Totally. So – I am definitely open. But the truth is, Safar, our producer, you know, put together all these uh, fascinating data points about American beliefs about the paranormal. Three out of four Americans, 75%, believe in paranormal phenomenon. More, uh, uh, nearly half of Americans believe in ghosts, like spirits that are um, among us. Um, and by the way, this isn't just 
like spiritual people or like mystically minded uh, people. Thomas Edison very famously uh, in 1920 tried to create a spirit phone, like, uh, you know, like a phone, except that instead of talking to living people, you talk to dead people. And it wasn't because he was interested in like spirituality or the spirit world. It's because he thought, well, you know, we can use science, like science will prove that there are, you know, these spiritual beings among us. So by the way, that would make an amazing horror film. Um, It really would. They, someone discovers in Thomas Alva Edison's warehouse, the spirit phone that he created and they crank it up and it actually works. Hold on, I'm writing. Boom. I'm writing right this down there. right now. Nobody else Tyler, steal this. Will you, We're selling will you. this. I get ten percent. You get ten percent. <laughs> we'll, we'll split it three ways. That's hilarious. And also, like you know, this is the other thing that I really, I really like about you know the way that you talk and think about your um, abilities is that they're very spiritual for you. you. I mean, this is a, a an expression of faith for you. I it was reading in here and hereafter that you're you know you're constantly talking about this is a a faith expression, what you do. And I guess that, you know, has partly to do the fact that, as you were just mentioning, you will, you grew up in a very conservative Christian environment. Uh, you know, I imagine there wasn't a lot of acceptance. I'm not sure. Maybe there was uh, for <laughs> these abilities that just kind of poured out of you when you were a teenager. T- tell us a little bit about what that experience was like. Sure. Well, my first premonition happened when I was 10 years old, and this would have been in April of 2006. And, you know, growing up, I had a very ordinary childhood, grew up in this conservative community. My parents have been together for over 30 years, um, and I'm an only child, so (laughs) I got all the attention as a kid. But everything was pretty normal for me until 10. Um, I basically just woke up one night, and I had this knowingness that my grandmother was going to die. And at the time, it just felt like a memory that hadn't happened yet, and I was really confused. And as I went to try to explain this to my mom, her phone rang, and as she picked it up, it was the news from my dad that he had just watched my grandmother die in front of him. So that was really the catalyst, but at 10 years old, that wasn't recognized as an ability. It was just a moment of knowingness. It was just an intuition, which is something we all have. Mm. So my mom didn't recognize that as something that I could do over and over and over again, and nor did I. But it took years of these kind of moments of epiphany um, to kind of realize that there was something more going on. In my personal belief, I think intuition and epiphany are directly related. And a lot of what people kind of attribute to being as aha moments might be intuition. You said this, it kept happening again and again. Yes. How how was your mom responding to that as it was happening again and again? You know, on one hand, I think she thought, okay, maybe Tyler just has a big imagination. But the difference was, was as I would share things with kids at school and they would validate them as being correct, such as talking about that a kid's parents just had an argument before school, or I would talk about family members of kids that was around. And for some, it was like, oh, that's cool. And then other people were kind of afraid of me. But this got back to my mom and she ultimately had to make the choice of either to accepted or not. But ultimately, I was able to demonstrate these moments of knowingness enough to, to convince her and my dad ultimately as well. And from there, they just kind of grew to accept it for what it was. I think when we know better, we can do better. And my parents are a great example of that, of loving your child unconditionally, no matter how different they might be. That's so wonderful to hear. What about the rest of the community? Like the rest of the community, church? was it, it was very divisive. It was actually very fascinating to see As word of mouth spread about my ability, I started getting blamed for things that I never did. So in high school, for example, there was this bully and he was a jock and he broke a a bone while at a football match. 
And I got blamed for it in my high school. They thought I through witchcraft had caused his injury. And then it was one thing after another. I would get, you know, attributed to things that there's no way, obviously, I could have uh, been responsible for. But that goes to show kind of the dangers of superstition. And it might sound funny coming from a medium, but I actually think it's important that we embrace logic and critical thinking and the scientific method um, and not allow superstition to dictate our lives. Because if we do, it becomes like the Salem Witch Trials all over again. So it might be a weird take coming from the source, but (laughs) that's what I believe. That's fascinating. I never thought I'd be in an interview with a clairvoyant who would say, hey, we need to be logical and <laughs> and use science and yes. not be filled with superstition. But I but I like that. I like what you're saying, because I like Reza and listeners know I also believe in God and I believe in an afterlife and I believe our our souls, our essential kind of humanness uh, part of who we are continues uh, a journey through other planes of existence beyond this physical world. I mean, why not? The other idea just makes zero sense to me that there's all of this beautiful creation and incredible consciousness and then the lights get turned out and that's the end and there is only a physical plane of existence. Uh, it really doesn't make sense to me. But regardless, the, the main reason we really wanted you on the show was we thought that you would have a unique perspective on grief. Mm-hmm. So I, we wanted to ask a couple of questions about grief and about dealing with grief. I have mentioned before on the show, my father passed away about a year and a half ago. Um, that was the first close family member that I'd ever lost. And it was very devastating. The thing I thought that was, I found very interesting about it was, and I still grieve him to this day, a year and a half later. Uh, and don't do a read. I don't want to know what he's got to say, by the gotcha. way. Gotcha. I don't want to know anything. <laughs> we don't, we don't want him. that public. I'm fine. I'm fine with, I'm fine with him over there. But, but a couple of things came up for me. One was I missed him so much and hurt my heart so deeply to lose him. I felt like we had a good 10 or 15 years left to connect as father and son that we didn't get to do. He died at 79. And I also, you know, I had a difficult childhood and I had some very real resentments of the guy and he was really not there for me in a lot of ways and was a pretty lousy father in a lot of ways too. And kind of wrestling with both of those was really challenging of like, wow, I miss and love you so much. And still I had so met so many unmet needs from you and I have some resentments left and, and we worked this shit out and he knew how I felt and I was, there was nothing left unsaid there, but it was, that really flavored the grieving process. And you, you say that your task is for the people that you're meeting with your clients is to bring hope and healing and closure to people. And I'm, this reminds me of my my stepmom, my dad's wife, who really has a feeling of a presence of him around and continues conversations with him. And I know lots of widows yeah. that do this, continue conversations with their past ones. And sometimes I will. Sometimes I'll just talk to him. I don't know exactly if he's hearing, but I'll just speak from my heart or just say, you know, I miss you, dad. And you know, even ask for help or guidance in some way. To these people, let's just say widows, for lack of a better word, this conversation, this ongoing conversation, which is done by about three quarters of them, by the way, brings great solace to them. So how does, 
How do your readings, how do your connections, how do these conversations that you undertake, how do they fit into the grieving process and help people with their healing and their closure? Absolutely. Well, you know, I think when it comes to grief that on some level, grief is the price that we pay for love. Mm. And I find reminders of that every day in the work that I do. But more than that, I find that grief is an ongoing process. We think of the word closure as being a final process, almost like Mm. a period at the end of a sentence. But my job has taught me that the process of closure is so much more than that. It's more of a comma. It's ongoing. And we have to process all of these feelings that we have about these people in our lives. And we take that with us as do they. So I think if anything, you know, people think that grief shrinks over time. And I don't believe that. I think if anything, we grow around our grief. It's like weight. Uh, You know, we hold it in different places. We carry weight in different places. And it's very different depending on the person. But, 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 But more specifically, so what is this process... I mean, I've seen some videos of you and people are crying and you've obviously touched nerves and they're able to process some grief, but how does the conversation heal? It's a release. And I always say, you know, people are like, Tyler, is it weird where you make people cry? And I'm like, no, it's actually a good thing. It is a release. It's representative of the fact that that person is hearing something that is bringing things to the surface that need to be processed. And just doing that can sometimes be cathartic for a person. It can be intense, but it can also leave a person, I believe, transformed in a way that was different than when they initially sat down. All that to say, though, readings are not a cure for grief. A medium is not a cure for grief. All Mm -hmm. I believe I do is validate that there is a connection, that there is love. I believe that consciousness continues on. But it's important that we honor that physical loss, even if we are a spiritual person. I think people think of it as if, you know, mediums don't grieve, but we do. So, you know, it's it's kind of an amalgamation of all of those things. It's meant to validate that there's still something there, but it's never meant to replace that person. Is there a cure for grief? I don't think so. I think grief is one of those aspects of suffering that is universal. I think it's something that we all will go through if we live long enough, or we will be grieved ourselves. Uh, so for me, it's just kind of one of those difficult truths of reality. I think while some spirituality might want to just kind of erase grief, uh, I actually am all about embracing grief as a process, something that is natural, something that even if you believe in God and a higher power, it's okay to still cry. It's okay to still want to pick up the phone and call them, want to give them a hug. Being spiritual doesn't make all of that better, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, even Jesus wept. Shortest sentence in the Bible. Jesus There wept. you go. Absolutely. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Is this what is often meant when we talk about the difference between grief and grieving? That like grief is that emotional state that just like tears you up. You know, it just comes over you unexpectedly like a wave just, you know, leaves you (laughs) devastated. But grieving is this kind of forever process, right? It's a thing that you just carry with you forever. It transforms the way that you think about the world. Is is that kind of like what you're talking about? 
Absolutely. You know, grief puts us in a liminal state and liminal states are defined as threshold states. And they typically occur very often when someone goes through a big life change where we are thrust into transition and familiarity is lost. So think of like divorce, illness, the death of a loved one. That is very transformational. That puts us in a liminal state. And liminal states, by definition, are transformative. So as difficult as they are, as disorienting as they are, the liminality of life is where we get the most information. Those times in our lives when we have nothing secure to hold on to, when familiarity is lost, uh, and when we are basically just feeling like we're having to fend for ourselves. That very often is where we see a lot of growth in people's lives. But I also just think it's an inevitability of life. I don't think we can eliminate liminality, nor should we. Um, That's just my thoughts on it. First of all, I just want to say I, I love this idea, this definition. Grief is the price we pay for love. That's so, so good. And I also really like what you're saying about how the grieving process, you know, as as a experience of liminality is is fundamental to, you know, our understanding of who we are. You have this whole thing in the book that you say early on in the I think in the in the introduction or prologue where you you say that your experience of being a medium and being in communion, you know, with people who have passed um, has actually helped you understand the universe and your place in it. And I wonder, I mean, not all of us obviously have the ability that, that you have, but in grieving, it's the closest we come in a way, right, to communing with the other side. Um, I mean, maybe maybe for us it's a one-way street, not a two-way street the way it is for you, but in a way, that little touch that we get, you know, of the of the other side uh, helps us to understand what it means to be human. So, like, grieving can be a fundamental part of the human experience, a, a, a thing that, that, you, that you actually want to experience, right? And I, to that point, I think it's because it's an inevitability, there's aspects of this where we can either choose to embrace it or reject it, but either way, it's going to happen. And so in my work, I've seen when it comes to how we can best move forward through grief, the best thing I can just say is to try to honor those who have died through your actions. You will never be able to introduce that loved one that you cared about to new people, to new members of family, but you can introduce the love that they gave you or even in Rain's case, maybe some of the challenges that were presented in that relationship. You can learn from that and then you can extend those lessons to other people that are alive in your life. And in that way, that is an afterlife that they get when they can make a difference in our lives. We can take the initiative and kind of introduce their essence through our actions. There's something almost alchemical about that mm-hmm. to me uh, in how the loss of somebody actually can sometimes make us more whole. I'm curious, Rain, why... Do you not want Tyler to do a reading? Just, I mean, I, you know, whatever. Like, I'm just, I'm just curious about it. Because I don't want to cry. Okay, that's, that's okay. Absolutely. <laughs> no, that's, that is, there's some truth to that. But yeah. I guess because for me, I do have closure. Like, um, I got to be with him. He was going in for a, a, a quadruple bypass surgery. We knew there was a chance he wouldn't make it. I got to spend the hours before he went in with him together. I got to pray with him when he was on life support. And, you know, and I, and I've fully grieved. I also really believe in the process of 
not just grief when someone dies, but listen, we live in a culture, Tyler, wouldn't you agree that doesn't know what to do about death or how to talk about death. That's for sure. When it's the one thing that we all share and and doesn't know what to do with or how to talk about grief and loss. So death, death and grief and loss are uh, just sewn into the fabric of life. And I, I feel like I had my process and I feel good about it. And I still pray for the progress of my father's soul. I still connect with my father. So I'm, it's kind of like, I'm good. And I hope I'm saying that not out of some kind of denial, like, Ugh. No. but that's not something that I, that I would uh, need necessarily. Yeah. And that's the thing. Not everybody needs a reading and not everybody needs to see a medium. And that's one of those beautiful things where if we can get to a place in our own grief where we at least are content, I think that's a really beautiful thing. So, so I've nice. got this kind of, I mean, weirdly opposite thing. My, my father died five years ago. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's, I don't think I ever really grieved about it. And it's not like I kept myself from grieving. You know, my wife to this day still brings it up sometimes. And I, I have delved deep into my soul searching for the grief. Um, and I loved my father very much. I mean, we weren't, you know, uh, incredibly tight. Um, but, you know, I, I recognize all that he did for me and, and you know, the, the way that he, he loved me the best that he could and, um, and all that he sacrificed for me and sort of leaving uh, Iran and coming here with nothing and starting all over again. And, and he had a kind of a, it, it was like a quick, it was a slow demise that then very then became a quick demise, you know, it often happens. Um, so it's not like his death was surprising. Um, but I don't know how to describe it. I mean, I, I think about grief is the price we pay for love. And I was like, well, I don't really grieve. And I ne and I, I don't think I ever really did grieve my father's passing. What is that? Does that say that I didn't love him? I, I, I'm confused. Help me out. I, I think of it as like a weight, right? And we all carry weight differently. And there's a reason I say it that way. Some people grief looks like sobbing into their hands every single day for years. I've sat with clients who've lost loved ones, sadly, who it may have been a decade ago, and you would swear it's just as fresh as wow. it was, you know, when it first happened. So I think everyone carries it differently. There's no shame in not being devastated by the loss of somebody. If anything, I think that gives us an upper hand in being able to remember their lives and honor their lives more meaningfully. From what I can take from those who've communicated with me, they want us, when we think of them, to not define their whole life by a single moment of death. And it sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're at a place where you can think about that whole long life and your relationship and I'm sure it had some highs and some lows, but you're okay. You're content on some level with how that happened. And so I, I don't think, you know, it's indicative that you don't love your father. It's just indicative that you're carrying that grief differently than maybe somebody who loses a child or maybe somebody who didn't have, you know, that contentedness towards the end. So one of the biggest messages, there's no real right or wrong way to grieve as much as I think we can't lay down and die. And it's important that we have support systems, resources, no matter where we are in our grief, to be able to feel okay with where we're at. Tyler, your book is called How Wisdom from the Departed Can Transform Your Life Now. Subtitle. Can you, mm -hmm. 
Can you give us the, what is it? <laughs> can, you, can you give us a sneak peek? How would you boil down how this wisdom from the departed can transform your life? And does it relate to grief? Absolutely. So I always say that in all the readings I've done, the one thing I'm certain of is that there is something along the lines of a life review process. And every single person that comes through to me seems to be some version of themselves that seems a little bit more in the know or more aware than they were when they were here. I attribute this to a process that I think consciousness goes through when we die. It's a process of expansion in which we see the ripple effect of how every action and inaction affected the greater collective. In life, unfortunately, we are limited to our one perspective, our one body, and that often is kind of all we can really fully understand. But I believe that when they die, they get this kind of interconnection in a way that allows them to empathize and understand what was important in life and what wasn't, what was worth focusing on, what never was. And I think that gives these consciousnesses a sense of clarity and ultimately an acceptance around how they lived and how they died. And that's when we talk about finding peace on the other side, I believe that's kind of the end game is being able to come to a place of full acceptance. Um, all of that to say that this gives people a very immense understanding of the importance of taking the initiative when given the opportunity to uh, not you know, withhold saying things, doing things, ensuring that we are validating each other in the here and the now. And I think if anything, you know, when it comes to mediums, people sit with me because they have regret. And if we can do certain things and live in a certain way, we can at least minimize the chances of us having regret in the future. So that for me is really what it's all about. I want people to read that book and not have to go run off to a medium <laughs> and maybe validate those who are still with them so that we have the best chance possible of having a sense of contentedness when the time comes that we do lose somebody. But, but I love how you're framing it because what you're talking about is self-help. Living your best self is living a life that you are not gonna feel that regret when you die, when you do that life review, when you feel like I did what I could with what I had. And anything that we can do in our daily practice, our spiritual practice to remind us of that fact, it, it brings us into greater consciousness. I, I, I love that mm -hmm. you're taking the reader in that direction. Do the Thank life you. review while you're still alive. Right, yeah. exactly. And it's, it kind of ties into Carl Jung's concept of individuation, which I am a huge proponent of. And I believe that consciousnesses on the other side go through this individuation process. I think they become more of themselves. Just as in life, I think we are all gradually every day becoming more of who we are. And we should strive to be more of ourselves. I think there's a lot of power in that idea. Tyler, uh, I'm, 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 suddenly, I'm suddenly nervous. I'm a little bit nervous about this. I'm a <laughs> oh. little, I have to say, like... Do you, I mean, I'm I'm kind of open if you want to yeah. do a reading of me. I guess I've never I've never had one. I can tell you I, right now. I've never I've never had anything Absolutely. like it at all. And I don't want to put you on the spot. No, no, no. I totally get it. What I need typically is a notepad and a pen, and usually about an hour. So what oh. we can do is that's the only downside. Okay. Is typically it takes a little yeah. time to get into it. Okay. Well, maybe maybe we do it later, and then I report yeah. on it. Cool. That'd be really I cool. would love that. Okay. Yeah, yes. I famously don't experience emotions the way most humans do. Uh, <laughs> I think I've cried uh, four times in the last 30 years. Wow. <laughs> you know? Wow. Not that I'm like, I try not to. It's not like I'm like, I will not cry. But it, it goes back to the, the, the grieving thing. You know, I... 
I can theoretically, like when I think about God, heaven forbid, anything happening to my wife or, or my children, like I, I can barely breathe. But yeah, but when I think about sort of, you know, the people that I've lost and the way that I grieve them, it's like I'm I'm searching for something that's not there. I keep digging and digging and digging. And I'm like, it's got to be there somewhere, but then it's not. And then I think to myself, well, maybe there's just something wrong with me. I don't know. It's amazing, though, how the grief process, even though it involves the death of other people, how much it teaches us about ourselves, right? And I mean, obviously, there was a lot of love there, and there's nothing wrong with how you're grieving, but it's just fascinating how it brings all those things to the surface. And that really speaks, I think, to kind of the liminal nature of grief. Anytime we go through liminal experiences, they bring stuff up to the surface that we got to look at. And, you know, for better or for worse, that, that's kind of the benefit, at least. It lets us kind of uh, focus on what we need to focus on at that time. Tyler Henry, uh, this has been such uh, a fascinating look, and honestly, I, I've I've never really thought about grief in these terms, and it and uh, and I've never even really thought about the idea of you know the connection to the afterlife in these terms. You know, the notion of truly experiencing life by connecting to the afterlife is is. It's just a beautiful way of thinking about it. And I'm, I'm totally, totally grateful for this conversation. Likewise. And Rain, if you ever want to read it, I'm always here, of course, free of charge for both of you. And I would love to connect if you're ever ready. So offers always withstanding. I want to see you weep. Yes. <laughs> just burst into tears. <laughs> Be very stoked. It might get caught in his beard. <laughs> oh, and he's oh, hiding. There you go. go. I cry. Uh, I cry easy. I cry at the drop of a hat. So the book is here and here after it's available now. And the Netflix series, which is available for streaming right now, is called Life After Death. Uh, And, you know, fingers crossed for a season two, uh, because, you know, there's a lot of life and death to talk about. No shortage of clients there. It just keeps happening. Do you think do you think you'll give readings to people when you're on the other side? What would that look like? Yeah, that's a good question. I've wondered before if guides on the other side, which is talked about extensively in spiritualism literature, if like those guides maybe weren't mediums in this life. Who knows? It's a theory, not one I necessarily What, ha- what happens endorse. when a bunch of mediums get together? Oh, they're, Do you have they're like conferences? Crazy. Mediums are such anti-structural people by nature, so they very rarely get along fully. We're usually kind of like loners. It's a very interesting thing. There's a lot of patterns among anti-structural people, and you see it in, in mediums for sure. You talked about the life review process. You talked about the ever-expanding consciousness, which I relate to because I've been thinking about human consciousness. You know, a baby in the womb has a certain measure of consciousness. They can recognize light, heat, sound, uh, movement, etc. Then a baby, and consciousness isn't just there when we're born. It grows and develops. I have a teenage son. I get to see with him every three or four months, like new forward steps in his consciousness as he grows into adulthood. I think the point is to increase our consciousness you know, I, get, I, I, I would say consciousness is kind of set when we're in our early 20s, but we want to grow that through to our 80s or 90s, and we want to continue that process on the next side. But what happens after we die, Tyler? <laughs> the life review process yes. and the ever-growing consciousness, it's obviously some kind of plane that's a little bit above and beyond time and space. Right, so non-linear. That's a diff- 
non-linear, it's non-physical, but what else can you tell us about the other side? Give what us I will tidbits. say is anytime I've tried to get answers on like, who is the right God or is there a heaven or a hell? They liken it to trying to explain arithmetic to a squirrel. And I'm the squirrel in this equation. And it's not a cop-out as much as it's really just to say, I think we as human beings are so limited in what we can understand about this realm, let alone the next. Mm -hmm. But that to say, I do think that the other side, when they come through, they acknowledge that whatever process they're going through, it's experiential. It doesn't seem to come through as a physical place. It seems to be based or rooted in experiential consciousness, um, expansion of awareness, interconnection, and really kind of superseding one's ego. Um, all of that to say, I don't even necessarily know what all of that means or what it implies or what that could indicate as far as our purpose goes. It's just more of these observations that I've made through time. So I genuinely don't have the answer. Uh, I think it's part of the, the great mystery of life. It's, it's beautiful in and of itself. Do you think they do anything up there, over there? I wonder. You know, they don't come like, to do they have like, jobs like, hobbies, or create jobs. things? You know, yeah. I, it doesn't come through in that way, but who's to say they don't? You know, I, I try to be open-minded, but I also am not afraid to say I don't know. All right. I don't know. Well, I am not afraid to say that I don't know how we're going to end this podcast. But <laughs> I will say, Tyler, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, I love your, your, forgive my using the word, your spirit uh, we were complimenting your writing of this book is so exquisite and um, it's been such a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Uh, Reza, hey, listen, um, checking back in with you here at the tail end of this podcast because we need to air the Tyler Henry podcast, but we haven't gotten our our sessions yet. We haven't gotten our readings yet. What gives? What's going on? Well, uh, I, I did want to tell you this earlier, but I, I did meet with Tyler. He did uh, communicate with my uh, uh, dead father, and uh, my father did have a message for me. It was that he wanted me to tell you to be nicer to me. Uh, so that's from the beyond. Wait a second. Uh, that's... Wait a second. All right, I'm lying. No, listen, folks, uh, It's <laughs> I am basically in line to see Tyler Henry. I, I think I had this idea that like as an important podcaster that I would just basically end the podcast and then like go to his house and have him do a reading. And he was like, yes, I'm sorry. You are 200th in line <laughs> for a reading. And I was like, I'm sorry. What now? There are 200 people in front of me. Well, here's what I love about the Tyler Henry organization is they don't prioritize uh, celebrities. Yeah, that was kind of nice. Which is really cool. So <laughs> if he's met a dishwasher who wants a psychic reading, he they go in that line of 200. Line. Yeah. We'll put at the end and they don't like whisk Gwyneth Paltrow to the front of the line. I was going to, I was thinking about pulling a Rain Wilson and being like, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? <laughs> I mean, like get me into the front. So folks, uh, sad to say, that this uh, this reading uh, has not happened yet, which I I'm not going to pretend that I'm like bummed about. Like I'm, I'm kind of nervous about it. I'm a little bit like I'm not exactly sure. You know, as we talked about during the interview, I haven't really yeah. I don't think processed my uh, the death of my father, even though it's been like I don't know mm. a, a while. <laughs> been like almost coming up on eight years or something. I was a little bit nervous about it. So it'll happen. It'll happen eventually. You know, maybe I'll maybe I'll tweet about it. But uh but it has not happened just yet. 
Well, when it does happen, we must get this information out there and share with people. Uh, I'm really, I'm really excited to see how that goes. Folks, uh, listen, as we sometimes do here at Metaphysical Milkshake, we're going to be giving away some copies of Tyler's new book, Here and Hereafter. So the first five people that write a review for Metaphysical Milkshake on Apple Podcasts, email us a screenshot of that review. It could be good. It could be bad. We're open. We're open. I mean, the bad ones might go to the bottom of the pile, but nonetheless, <laughs> you can write us always at metaphysical at castmedia. That's cast with a K. Metaphysical at castmedia.com. The first five will be sent a copy of Tyler's amazing book. What an incredible human being. And if you have any life big questions, you can always, of course, find us on social media at Reza Aslan and at Rain Wilson. We're also on Twitter at Meta Milk Podcast and on Instagram at Metaphysical Milkshake. You can also please remember to follow, rate, and review Metaphysical Milkshake on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And you can subscribe to the Metaphysical Milkshake YouTube channel. Watch our full episodes every week. See how extraordinarily handsome Tyler Henry actually is. Otherwise, we will see you next week. Unless we're dead. Then only Tyler will see us next week. Only only Tyler will be able to. I wonder if we could have a podcast from the great beyond and Tyler could interpret it for the listener. I will say at this point, the only people who don't have a podcast are dead people. So it seems like the next natural That's the progression. next step. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week. Metaphysical Milkshake is executive produced by Rain Wilson, Reza Aslan, and Colin Thompson. It is produced by Safa Samazadeh Yazd, Harris Lane, Mick DeMaria, Hashem Self, and DJ Lubel. Cast Media is the production and distribution partner. Original music by Jeff Tang. Tyler Perry? Tyler did Perry? I Tyler Perry? Wait, did no. you? I'm sorry. You called you're him not Tyler, Tyler Perry? Something. I just assumed. <laughs> you know, I left the drag at home. I did not present as you know, Medea today, but it's he, an honor to be here. He is, a, he is a master of disguise. And sometimes he dresses like a, you know, mid-20s white guy. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.